Welcome to the Potter's House Community Church's podcast. Join us weekly as we feature our Sunday sermons. The Potter's House Community Church exists to help people be shaped by God to be followers of Jesus Christ. We hope today's message encourages you as we dive into God's Word. So grab your favorite drink and let's listen to today's sermon. So show me your mysteries, my God. Today we're uh, jumping right back in to Genesis. This is what we do here at Potter's. Uh, We work through um, books of the Bible at a time, and we're in Genesis chapter 26 today. And it's kind of an interesting passage because it's about the life of Isaac, and it's kind of just lumping a bunch of things together. And as you read it, you basically are like, wait a second, I feel like I just read this. And so if you've been walking with us through Abraham's life, you're going to see in this passage, you're like, this is kind of like a do-over. It's kind of like you just said, ditto to what happened to Abraham. Um, and, uh, and so we can call Genesis 26, the ditto chapter chapter, but, uh, um, but yeah, so we we're seeing, we're going to see in this passage, um, how Isaac walks through many of the same things that his father walked through. And I think that's a good lesson for us as well, um, about life and about our life, but also if we're parents, our kids' lives, um, that many of the, the same trials and temptations and struggles that we face, our kids are going to face. And, uh, and so how many of you can remember something that you learned from your parents uh, that maybe helped you out and helped you from maybe making a, a big mistake because your parent had made that mistake and they had learned from it and they passed that on to you? Um, hopefully, hopefully we can think of some of those things, maybe. Um, hopefully, if we're parents, we've pa- tried, tried our best to pass some of that along to our kids because uh, we, we know the mistakes we've made and we've lived through the consequences of those. And so we would like that not to happen for our kids, right? We would like better for them. We would like uh, them to avoid uh, those hard lessons and just learn it the easy way from us. Um, sadly, with human nature, uh, we're not always the best at that. Sometimes we kind of have to learn it for ourselves the hard way. But so we're going to see, uh, I'm just going to read through the whole chapter. So it's a little bit longer, but stick with me. Um, and then we're not going to dig into a lot of the details of this specific situation because we already handled a lot of those details with Abraham. Um, so if you want to be refreshed on that, just go back and listen to the old sermons about Abraham. Uh, But there are kind of three main points I want us to pull out of this passage today for us to learn from. Now, there was a famine in the land besides the former famine that was in the days of Abraham. And Isaac went to Gerar, to Abimelech, king of the Philistines. And the Lord appeared to him and said, do not go down to Egypt, dwell in the land in which I shall tell you. Sojourn in this land, and I will be with you and will bless you. For to you and to your offspring, I will give all these lands. And I will establish the oath that I swore to Abraham, your father. I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and will give to your offspring all these lands. And in your offspring, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Because Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. So Isaac settled in Gerar. When the men of the place asked him about his wife, he said, she is my sister. Does that sound familiar? It's like, it's dad's playbook all over again. 
For he feared to say, my wife, thinking lest the men of the place should kill me because of Rebekah, because she was attractive in appearance. When he had been there a long time, Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked out of a window and saw Isaac laughing with Rebekah, his wife. So Abimelech called Isaac and said, behold, she is your wife. How then could you say she is my sister? And Isaac said to him, because I thought lest I die because of her. And Abimelech said, what is this that you've done to us? One of the people might easily have lain with your, with your wife and you would have brought guilt upon us. So Abimelech warned all the people saying, whoever touches this man or his wife will surely be put to death. And Isaac sowed in that land and reaped in the same year a hundredfold. The Lord blessed him. And the man became rich and gained more and more until he became very wealthy. And he had possessions of flocks and herds and many servants so that the Philistines envied him. Now the Philistines had stopped and filled with earth all the wells that his father's servants had dug in the days of Abraham, his father. And Abimelech said to Isaac, go away from us, for you are much mightier than we. So Isaac departed from there and encamped in the valley of Gerar and settled there. And Isaac dug again the wells of water that had been dug in the days of Abraham, his father, which the Philistines had stopped after the death of Abraham. And he gave them the names that his father had given them. But when Isaac's servants dug in the valley and found there a well of spring of water, the herdsmen of Gerar quarreled with Isaac's herdsmen, saying, the water is ours. So he called the name of the well Esek, because they contended with him. Then they dug another well, and they quarreled over that also. And so he called his name Sitna. And he moved from there and dug another well, and they did not quarrel over it. So he called its name Rehoboth saying, for now the Lord has made room for us and we shall be fruitful in the land. And from there he went up to Beersheba and the Lord appeared to him the same night and said, I am the God of Abraham, your father, fear not for I am with you and will bless you and multiply your offspring for my servant Abraham's sake. So he built an altar there and called upon the name of the Lord and pitched his tent there. And there Isaac's servants dug a well. And when Abimelech went to him from Gerar with Ahuzath, his advisor and Phicol, the commander of his army, Isaac said to them, why have you come to me seeing that you hate me and have sent me away from you? They said, we see plainly that the Lord has been with you. So we said, let there be a sworn pact between us, between you and us, and let us make a covenant with you that you will do us no harm, just as we have not touched you and have done to you nothing but good and have sent you away in peace. You are now the blessed of the Lord. So he made them a feast and they ate and drank. And in the morning rose early and exchanged oaths and Isaac sent them on their way and they departed from him in peace. And that same day, Isaac's servants came and told him about the well that they had dug and said to him, we have found water. And he called it Sheba. Therefore, the name of the city is Beersheba to this day. When Esau was 40 years old, he took Judith, the daughter of Beri, the Hittite, to be his wife. And Basemath, the daughter of Elon, the Hittite. And they made life bitter for Isaac and Rebekah. So that's our passage for today. If you've been walking with us through Abraham's life, 
uh, we've seen a lot of this. We've unpacked a lot of this in his life of dealing with uh, the Philistines digging wells, disputes over wells. Obviously, Isaac's approach is a little different uh, from Abraham's. Abraham just went and bought back the well uh, that he had already dug himself. Um, Isaac here just moves away. He's like, okay, I'll just go dig another well somewhere else. Um, but we've seen a lot of this. We've, we've already unpacked a lot of this. Um, but one of the things, one of the main things I do want to pull out is what was already pointing out before we got in uh, to the passage is this fact of that it's a repeat. Um, and the fact that Isaac is going through a lot of the same things that Abraham went through. And we can know this, that children will walk through the same temptations and struggles in life as their parents. Children will walk through the same struggles and temptations in their life as their parents. And some of us can look at our parents and say, wow, I want to learn from their example. I want to learn from how they handled that. I want to learn how, how they walked through that so that I don't, I don't make those mistakes. Equally, some of us can look at our parents and we say, wow, they really botched that up. Um, I see how much that has royally messed up their life. I don't want to go down that path. Um, so we, we can learn from our parents both, both good and bad um, based on, on their our experience there. Um, and so maybe as I'm talking about this today, you might like, well, well Wayne, I, I, I don't have a good parent example to learn from. Great. Do the opposite. Whatever they did, do the opposite of that. Okay. Um, and that can be a, a way that you go. Um, but for those of us who are Christ followers and we want uh, better for our kids, um, then we, we need to be constantly trying to, to as we parent, as we, we share with them, no matter their age, we want to be able to say, like, here, look, here's what I've learned from my life that relates to this. Here, I love you. I care about you. Um, here, here, let me share this truth with you. And, and that's, that's kind of been God's example and his model for us um, about how this thing's supposed to go. Uh, especially as we look at the Old Testament, there's plenty of scriptures about this. Uh, let's look at Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9. It says this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. And where do we know that in the New Testament? Jesus said, was asked, what was the greatest commandment of the law? And he said, all of it hinges on this. And then hear this. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. And you shall bind them as a sign on your head, uh, on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. And you shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. And so here in, in this key Old Testament passage, this is, uh, especially even for Judaism today, this is a, a key passage. But this is, this is God's design for how his, his word is supposed to be passed to the next generation. It's not, he doesn't say, hey, bring them once a week and let them hear a talk. He doesn't say, hey, bring them once a week and let them go to the back room where they have a great program designed just for them. That's, that's a good help. That's a good aid. But what he's saying here is, hey, hey, parents, in every aspect of your life, as you're living it with your kid right beside you, live this out. 
as, as you're, you're having this interaction with this other person and a scripture comes to mind that fueled that interaction, as you walk away from that, talk with your kid about, like, hey, hey here's, here's why I said this. Here's why I did this. Um, because this is what God's word says. In every aspect of your life, even the decor of your house, let it be pointing to the word of God so that it can point them uh, to Jesus, to the hope that we have in him. Uh, in Proverbs 22, this, is, this one's often taken out of context, but let's, let's train up a child in the way he should go, in, and even when he's old, he will not depart from it. And some people really struggle with that passage because they say, well, I don't know, I've seen plenty of kids that were trained up well and they walked away from it, right? Like they walked away from the faith, like how many of us know that person? How many of us have been that person at some point, right? But when you're looking at the Proverbs, the way to understand Proverbs is is this is wisdom literature. This is general wisdom. And the general wisdom says that, yes, if you train up a child in the way that is right, in the way that they should go, in the the ways of the Lord, that even when they get old, they're still going to be walking in it. And that's general wisdom. That's general wisdom from the Lord. And that's true. Um, They have a lot better chance to be walking with the Lord if they're trained up in that way versus if they're trained up in another way, right? We can all agree with that. Psalm 78, one to four says this, give ear, O my people, to my teachings, incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings from of old, things that have been heard and known that our fathers have told us. How did he know it? Because his fathers told him. We will not hide them from our children, but tell them to the coming generation, the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. So it's always, this has always been God's plan is that one generation gives it to the next generation who gives it to the next generation. That was his plan through the Old Testament, through the Old Covenant, um, you know, through the law of teaching, you know, this is, this is how we live as God's people. But equally, that's part of God's plan for under the New Covenant, for it's our job to pass it on. Those of us who have it, we're to pass it on to others, pass it on to the next generation in our family, but also the next generation across the board, anyone who will hear. Because Jesus' commandment is to, to all the nations, Make disciples of all peoples, right? Um, and so is it, it, no longer is it just familial, but it's beyond that. It's we're, we're to reach out to others. We're to, we're to take the good news of Jesus to those who need it. And so it's, it's not just about parents. So if you're here today and you're like, well, I'm not a parent, so I can check out on this one. I don't have to worry about any of that. Too bad. Um, if you know Jesus and you know the truth of his word, then it is, he has given you the charge to take that to others, to pass that on to others for, for that to continue to spread because the same problems that I have with sin, the same problems that maybe Nicole has with sin or you have with sin are the same problems that Jesus died on that cross for. That's what Nicole was saying when she was up here today. She's like, yeah, I'm a sinner, but he's my savior. I've, I've, died, I, I've died to sin because of him. He, he came into me and made that change in my life. And we want to proclaim that message to others. And um, 
And yeah, sometimes in our lives, we can get that good wisdom and good example from our parents. Other times in my life, my parents haven't been the, the best example for me to go to on, on whatever the situation. But you know where I've found really good examples and other people that I can look to and look up to and learn from their wisdom and their experience? It's the church. That's part of coming together as the church. And that's one thing I love about Potter's House. As I'm looking out at you right now across this room, we're not just a bunch of young people. We're not just a bunch of young families. We're not just um, a bunch of millennials. We're not just any, any demographic, right? And we're not just a bunch of old people. But we're across the board, and that's very healthy um, because that means that those, those who are younger, they have older people that they can look up to, that they can learn from their life experience, that they can, they can gain that wisdom that's, that's there. Um, for those that are older, that I, I love to see your faces when the kids leave, right? Like just every... every uh, you know, no offense, but every gray hair or no hair, look, I'm catching up with the no hair crowd, all right? I'm getting there, all right? Um, I, just, I just see a smile from, from cheek to cheek. Seeing the, the youth, the youngness, because in, in your wisdom and in, in what you've lived in life, you're so happy to see kids in church who are getting the truth of the gospel. And that's a healthy thing for us to be as a church. And I'm, I'm so glad that God has blessed us with all different ages, all different walks of life, all different backgrounds, right? And it's one thing we, we talk about some with our elder boards on just how diverse our church is as far as backgrounds on even like faith backgrounds and where we, we've come from before. Um, and, but yet yeah, God is bring, bringing us together and knitting us together in a very healthy and beautiful way. Um, and so I'm very thankful uh, to the Lord for that. Okay, let's, let's, let's kind of put that on the shelf. Let's move to another thing out of this passage um, now. Uh, there's another thing that kind of popped out to me as I was reading through this, and um, it's with the, relating to the issue of marriage. Okay, so we've already handled parenting, so now let's go to marriage. So I'm just like stepping in all your mess today. Um, but there were, there were basically, there's two different situations in this one passage relating to marriage. Um, in, in verse 8, uh, we see when, in, when Isaac's trying to hide his relationship with Rebekah, um, he can't do it because they like each other too much. <laughs> right? So when he had been there a long time, Abimelech, the king of the Philistines, looked out of a window and saw Isaac laughing with Rebekah, his wife. Now, there's, a, there's debate over exactly what's translated as laughing. Uh, some of your tra translations might go with like caressing there or something like that. Whatever it was, it was clear that ain't no brother-sister relationship, all right? Like Abimelech saw it out the window. It's like, yeah, something going on there besides that, right? Um, because they, they liked each other. There was a love for each other. There's laughter in their relationship. It seems healthy in that way. Now, we see more from their relationship and other stories that seems very unhealthy. Um, but at least in this situation, they're in a moment of, of it, it seems good. There's laughter. There's, it's where you want to be, right? 
And then you, you juxtapose that to what we saw here at the very end, verse uh, 34. When Esau was 40 years old, he took Judith, the daughter of Beri the Hittite, to be his wife, and Basemath, the daughter of Elon the Hittite, and they made life bitter for Isaac and Rebekah. So on one hand, you have a relationship that's, that's filled with laughter in a healthy way. And on the other hand, you have this situation that just brings bitterness. And how true is that of how marriage can be? And I want to propose to you that maybe, maybe I, th- I think we can, I can just assume that most of us would say, I, I want to choose the laughter version, not the bitterness version, okay? Um, if you're purposely saying, I want to choose the bitterness version, we have deeper issues to work on, okay? I don't think I can get that all into one sermon for you, all right? We, we probably need some, some ongoing counseling relating to that. But I think most of us would say, I want to choose the laughter version. Whether that's, you know, you're married right now, this applies to you, you're like, yeah, I, I want laughter in my marriage, or whether marriage is something down the road that you hope happens, that you're saying, this is what, what I, where I want to be. This is what I want for my life down the road. Please, Lord, bring this into my life. I think even if that's where you're at, then you would be able to say that, yeah, I, I, want, I want the laughter one, right? I, I don't want the bitter one. I want the laughter one. And I think a key to that is doing it and going about it God's way. And now for our culture and our society, the stuff I'm about to say is going to sound like I have a horn growing out of my head and I'm a crazy person because it's so far from our culture. It is so far from our society. It's so far from what people today hold to be right. But according to what I see in God's word, that God's plan is for one man, one woman for life that this is what marriage is supposed to be. One man, one woman for life. And we get some amens, but but also we get some like, you know, my life's, that's already been broken. And that's real, I, I hear you in that. And that's where God's grace is. And that's where he heals us from these past things. But his design and his plan is one man, one woman for, for life. And many of those that have gone through divorces and gone through uh, the break of those things will tell you, yeah, from my wisdom, that's one of the things I learned that that really stinks. There's a lot of pain in that. There's a lot that's messed up in that when that gets broken. When God's plan isn't what is followed in that way. And we can see this plan even in Genesis. We saw this before sin even came into the world, that this was God's plan. In Genesis 2, 24, it says this, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. One flesh. Man and wife. What do we see with Esau? Man and wife and wife. And bitterness. We're getting into this, the part of scripture that, you know, well, it talks about polygamy and people will use this in two ways. One, they'll either use it to try to justify that for themselves to say, see, the Bible has polygamy in it. So it's obviously okay. 
Um, or they'll go the other way and say, look, look how messed up the Bible is. It has polygamy in it. Which my answer to both is this. Have you actually read the stories that involve it? Like what good ever comes from it? Like it, no, it's, it's just like polygamy. <laughs> like that, that's, that's the Wayne uh, translation of everything that happens in the Bible after polygamy. Okay. It's just, it's just like vomit. Like it's, I mean, we're, we're even, we're going to get in with, uh, um, into Jacob's life and, and this, and it's like, man, how dysfunctional can you make a group of people? Right? Like, well, I'm done having kids here. Have another woman and she can have kids for me, right? Like it's, it's so messed up. And so as we go into those things, no, the Bible's not justifying those things. It's saying this is what happened. And also it's saying, look what happened and see how bad it messed up. Because here's God's design. One man, one woman for life. That's what God has. That's, that's how he's designed us to work. When we're operating in that way, when even if maybe you're still single right now and that's your goal down the road, if that is your understanding and that's where you're going to, then laughter is a lot easier to, to find in that. Because here's the deal. When you say it's for life and there's no exit clause, then once you're in it, and this is many of you guys, kind of have a choice. Do I want to go with bitterness or do I want to go to laughter? Because I'm stuck in this for the rest of my life. So I think I'm going to choose laughter, right? I want to choose to go that way to make this thing healthy, to do all I can to improve it, to make it a better situation for both of us. Got some more scriptures for you. First Thessalonians 4, 3 to 8. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one transgresses and wrongs his brother in this matter, because the Lord is an avenger of all these things. And we told you beforehand and solemnly warn you, for God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this, disregards not man, but God, who gives his Holy Spirit to you. And the New Testament is clear over and over and over again that this issue of sexual immorality is a big deal. So what does that mean? That means any sexual conduct outside of one man, one woman for life. All right, like, you're like, well, what about this? What about this? If we went into listing all of those things, you know how long the Bible would be? <laughs> but instead, Scripture just uses the word sexual immorality, and it includes all that junk. And if you're wanting to have a, a marriage filled with laughter and you're also harboring some of this in your life, then those things don't work together. If you're, if you're trying to have a, a marriage of laughter and you're, you're harboring whatever it is over on the side, it doesn't work. That's a poison that seeps in and destroys. And thank goodness we know the one who can deal with poison. And that's Jesus Christ. 
He's the one that can take our sin away. He can wash us. He can make us clean. He can restore what's broken, including between us and God, but also between us and maybe our our partner. He's a God who can restore. He's a God who can bring healing even in those tough situations. Hebrews 13, 4 says this, Let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled. For God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. Let it be held in honor among all. Marriage is something to be respected. And and that's why as Christians, we, we do hold it in a high esteem. That's also why the enemy so often wants to go after our marriages in order to try to take us down and debunk us. And so the marriage is something that needs to be fought for. It's something that needs to be protected. I was going to go to Ephesians 5, um, but uh, it's a longer passage and we're running out of time. Uh, So I jot that one down. Ephesians 5 uh, gives a lot of practical instructions for uh, wives and husbands. If you just do that, I think you're going to have a good marriage. Wives, submit to your husbands. Husbands, basically be like Jesus and die to yourself for the sake of your wife. Okay? So um, that's basically a summary of of Ephesians 5 there. So wives, do you have trouble submitting to someone who's dying for you? Probably not because they're putting your interests first. Um, Husbands, do you have trouble dying for someone who's willing to submit to you and follow you? Probably not. Worked pretty well. Um, and so that's, that's a good design for you. Uh, a lot to be unpacked there, but we're running out of time today. So, but I will uh, take us to this one, Hebrews 12, um, 15 to 17. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble. And by it, many become defiled, that no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. So the writer of Hebrews here is even connecting back to what we're looking at in Genesis. And he's saying, hey, don't let that root of bitterness come in. And where did we see that right here? Specifically relating to Esau and his marriages, of how that situation brought bitterness into the whole family. It affected everybody. It messed everybody's life up. And so I encourage you, don't let that root of bitterness spring up and cause trouble in your life or in your marriage or in your future marriage. Because if you're, if you're hoping for that marriage of laughter down the road, and yet you're harboring a root of bitterness in your life, you know, what's going to grow when you actually get into a marriage, that root of bitterness is going to spread. And so I encourage you to check your hearts and let Jesus take care of those things. Last thing I want us to to pull out from Genesis 26 is is this out of verse 4. This same uh, promises to Abraham are being passed on to Isaac, but God is speaking here and he's speaking to Isaac and he's saying, I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and will give to your offspring all these lands and in your offspring, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Now we covered this with Abraham, but it's worth repeating here with Isaac. How is it? 
that all the nations are blessed through his offspring, specifically one of those offspring, Jesus Christ. And it's through Jesus and through what he did on the cross. So what we celebrated this morning with, with Nicole of what Jesus has done in her life, the fact that he died for her, that he died for me, that he died for you, and that we can believe in that and that we can be restored to God, that we can be made right with God. And we know that price that he paid by his death was marked paid in full. It's marked received because he rose from the dead. He rose from the dead proving I've defeated sin and death and I've done that for you so that you can come and be made right with God. So that you can be made right with me. And we know that that is how that these, all these promises in the Old Testament are ultimately fulfilled of being a blessing to all the nations is through Jesus. But I want us to look at it a little different way today and make a little different emphasis on that in that, uh, in that, uh, that sentence because I want to check, check how are we doing on that? How, how are we doing on Jesus Christ being a blessing to all the nations? all the nations. How, how, how are we doing as Christians? Because he kind of left us with this charge of like, hey, uh, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you. And so that's, I mean, we did half of that this morning, right? Baptizing them. Awesome. Right? We're, we're woo. Come on, get a little excited, people. My goodness. But yeah, so we, we yeah, we're, we're, we're doing it here. That's great. But how are we doing globally as Christians? Uh, there's a, a website called uh, Gospel Project, uh, the Joshua Project, sorry, joshuaproject.net. Um, and what it does is it, it has global statistics for people groups. And they define an unreached people group as a people group who is, does not have a, a large enough presence of Christians within their people group or resources within that group to reach the rest of their group with the gospel. Okay. So basically these are people groups who basically, even if they want to, don't really have access to the good news of Jesus. And I want to ask you how, what percentage of the world's population do you think uh, currently lives in one of those people groups where they really have no access to the gospel? That was a question. Now you give answers. 2%, okay. No access to the gospel. 2%. 40%. 50. 28.5. 28. All right. Well, some of you guys are pretty close. Currently, it's 42.4%. 42.4%. So... Yeah, Ed and Brittany, you guys just get together and you got it, 40 plus two, so. Um, but 42.4%, so almost, not quite, but almost half of the world's population currently does not have access in a tangible way to the gospel. And that's sad. And I hear a lot of people today talk about, you know, I think Jesus is coming back any moment. Don't, don't hear me say anything else. I want Jesus to come back any moment. Like, come, Lord Jesus, come. 
But I also think that he's not coming back until we've done the job that he's given us to do of taking the gospel to the nations so that literally every tribe, tongue, and nation will be there worshiping him and proclaiming his name in the end. And with 42% of the world's population still without the gospel, I think we've got a ways to go. And so, so yeah, it's part of what makes me so excited about uh, two young ladies from our church who are serving in different parts of the world right now. Uh, Lydia flies out tomorrow morning from, from uh, Vancouver uh, to head over to Hungary. We saw the video uh, last week uh, talking about and her sharing about how few Christians there are there, like around 1% of you know, Christians that would preach the gospel. Um, Emily, uh, down in Kenya, just serving in a different part of the world, trying to, to be God's hands and feet and, and be a witness to the people there so that they can have the good news of Jesus, right? Um, we're so thankful uh, for those ladies going out. But the question is, what else can we do? What else can we do as a church? And I want to tell you that I think we're in a unique situation. Because when you talk about people groups, you're talking about different ethnicities, you're talking about different languages. And I want to tell you, I don't know if you've looked around Canada lately, but we've got a lot of different people groups in Canada. So what if, what if, if we just reach people in Canada with the gospel and then those that maybe are from a different people group or a different ethnicity, they're like, hey, this is very important. I want to go back to my people group, to my home nation and share this good news with them. That's going to go a lot farther than Redneck Wayne popping up in Istanbul or wherever, right? Like, you know, somebody from there is going to get a lot further with reaching people for the gospel uh, with it. And so, um, and so, yeah, but well, well, how are we doing on reaching Canada? That's, that's another good question. What, well, our latest statistics uh, from the latest census, um, the number who claim themselves to be a Christian, do you think it's going up or down? You're right, it's going down. Uh, what do you think is the group on that, that question that is growing the fastest? It's the group that says they have no religion. We call them the nons. They're, they say, no religion, nothing for me in that area of my life. What percentage of Canadians do you think classify themselves as a non, as no religion? You're really close, 34.6%. So 34.6% of Canadians. What about BC? Right? So how, how about in BC, how many, what percentage would classify themselves as a non? 52% in BC. But I mean, we live here in God's country, right? Like we're in the Okanagan, like it doesn't get any better than this, right? Like, I mean, we see the glory of God everywhere we look. Um, so obviously our numbers would have to be much better, Right? Um, so how many, what percentage do you think in the greater Kelowna area, that's how statistics breaks it down, the greater Kelowna area refer to themselves as a non? 
We're worse than BC as a whole. <laughs> All right? And so when we, we think about the need to share the gospel, we can think about, yeah, let's reach the nations. But maybe we just need to reach our neighbor. Right? Maybe we just need to, to share with the person next to us. I mean, since I saw these statistics, it's, it's really hitting me just, I mean, as I go to a store, I'm walking around, I'm looking, I'm like, every other person I'm looking at by these statistics says that they have no place for religion at all in their life, much less all the other religions, all the other stuff out there, right? But I just walk around saying like, at least half of the people that I see by these statistics are saying they have no hope for eternity. And I'm not saying that that's all on us, but I am saying, because I fully believe that that's all in the hand of God. He's a sovereign God and he has control over these things. But I think in his sovereignty, he's told us, hey, here, you're, the, you're to be my messengers and you're to point people to me. And that should break our hearts. Because I think we want to see people have the same hope that we have to be able to place their faith in Jesus. I, I, I'm so thankful for Nicole and what God's done in her life, but I wanna, I wanna see, you know, I'd love for this thing to just be up here permanently. I want that to be the norm here, not the exception. Where we're celebrating people that God has changed their life, that they have faith in Jesus, that he has come in, he's taken away the old, he, the old self is dead, the new self is alive. And that's what we're about. And that's what we want to see happen. And that's all because of the promise that through this one man, all nations of the earth will be blessed. I just want to be a part of that. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that you came. We thank you that you died on the cross. We thank you that the price that you paid is sufficient. That is sufficient for me. That is sufficient for Nicole, it's sufficient for everyone here who's a follower of you, and it's sufficient for so many more who do not know you. Lord, I pray for our community. I pray for our neighbors. I pray for, for those who, who say, I don't, I don't have any need of that. Lord, I pray that through the power of your spirit, you bring them to yourself that you show them the need that they have for a savior. I pray that through our church, we're able to constantly and faithfully proclaim that message to others. Lord, we just want to see your kingdom come. I pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to today's episode. Feel free to subscribe to our podcast, leave us a review and share with others. If you'd like to learn more about our church, you can visit our website at www.potterschurch.ca or you can connect with us also on social media. Tune in next week for a brand new episode of our weekly sermon series. We hope that you have such an amazing rest of your day. Thanks for